Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Appetite for Distraction. I'm Martin. I write the newsletter called Music X. Hi, everyone. I'm Steph Guerrero, and I am an independent music advocate. Second one we're doing together. Very excited about this one. We have Natalie Crew on our show today, who I have a lot of respect for. So I'm very excited to actually have this chance to go in depth into a conversation with her together with you, Steph. Natalie, for me, you're like one of the OGs of Web3. You were there before Web3 even was Web3. So that's definitely something we want to dig into. Do you want to go and say hi? I'm Natalie. I've been in Web3 for long time before it was called Web3, actually. And prior to that, I maneuvered between a bunch of spaces, music, nonprofit, and also education, and a lot of other things in between. Music and art will always be my first love and what I'm dedicated to and this thing called life. One of the things that I was really quite desperate to ask you is, and we ask this to everybody, but I think it's the best question for you, is how did you get into this whole ecosystem around the blockchain? I would say around 2016. There's this guy, Vandal. If you're in Web3 Music and you don't know him, don't know if you're really in Web3 Music, he and my boy DJ Lethal Skills, which I both know from, there's a whole like circle of like folks that maneuver around the international scene of hip-hop and they throw shows and festivals and events and belong to all kinds of Facebook groups together and so I met Vandal somewhere along that journey in that world and so I've known him for like maybe 12 13 years and both of them actually and DJ Lethal Skills like a super OG and hip-hop in the Arab world and yeah so I knew them for a very long time and they were doing social token stuff in Malaysia and I hadn't really heard and I've heard a little bit of NFT rumblings because I come from the underground of the internet but I didn't know much about it and so they're both doing social token stuff and getting into NFTs and bringing a lot of um, hip-hop artists from all over the place into NFTs they eventually ended up on Steemit which was a super early decentralized social media platform and so I ended up there because of them. And they were talking about social tokens. I always thought the guys they were working with were kind of uh, grifty, but I ended up on Steemit. And so there was a whole bunch of folks doing incredible things there. And I just stayed there because I couldn't get money through traditional funding routes for like my festivals and other projects I was working on. And there was a lot of support in that world and a lot of cool things happening. And so I stayed there. That's how I got into Web3 before it was called Web3. Yeah, I think there's already so much to unpack in that, just that little introduction. How would you describe your path, your journey then from like 2016 and being introduced to social tokens through these guys and then maybe try to go up to Clubhouse and the spaces you hosted there and starting to onboard people? Yeah, if we fast forward to 2020, I was sitting on Clubhouse and at that time Clubhouse was all the rage. Everybody on their grandma was on there, all these celebrities, and had this air of like exclusivity. And I got on there in November, I believe it was 8th, 2020. And after my friend gave me an invite, and I got on there and I was like, oh, this is actually pretty interesting because I'm not the type of person that follows the hype. I'm always super early. And I got on there and there's all these crypto rooms and nobody can get on stage with some of these crypto rooms. There's also like a few NFT rooms. But again, nobody can get on stage. I'm like, some of these people were not educating people properly. And I was like, yikes. By that time, I had been like knee deep in the whole like Web3 thing was starting to get involved in DAOs. And so there's a lot of 
there's a huge difference between the world that I came from and what they were showing on these stages. And I'm like, I'm going to start my own room. But by the time I started my own room, there are a few other people who felt the same way. And they actually started their own room on Clubhouse. And we just organically came together a whole horde. I think it was like 10, 15 of us. And then a few more people straggled in over the years. But we started to like have these rooms where anybody can get on stage. Anybody can ask any questions. Anybody can bring up any topic, and we just workshop these things. I know Patricio from POAP in the early days had came in and was introducing everybody to POAPs. And I would even say that, that was kind of POAPs like first foray into the community that was starting to form around the second generation of NFTs, which a lot of that was formed in that particular group, NFTs.tips. We had the film verticals and photography and like all these other things that were happening at that time. Music was already a thing. Connie Digital and Skrilla and Vandal and DJ Lethal Skills and a whole bunch of other people were already moving. But I say in that particular space, and we saw the birth of like Web3 music and a lot of folks convening around what it could be and people trying new tools and doing new projects and experimenting. And so it was pretty exciting time to be a part of that. When did you make the shift from Clubhouse to somewhere else? That's an interesting story, probably for another day. So Clubhouse for a very long time was the epicenter and like headquarters, this new generation of teas and crypto and even a little bit of DAOs. But at one point, people started to say, hey, I can make a lot of money off these things. And our crew was like, no, you're not going to be over here with that Clubhouse energy grifting. So some of those people actually went to Twitter. And at the same time, there were a few people who got onto Twitter's, I believe it was called the Spark Program or something. And people started to get like little shows with them. I was already on Twitter doing shows and Twitter education spaces. I had a popular hashtag with my friend Nora for several years and I was involved in hip hop ed. So I was already on Twitter like knee deep. But I would say like NFT Twitter really took off like probably around 2021, even mid 2021, maybe around March, April. Um, And so people started to gravitate over there and you start to see like more people on Twitter. Also Clubhouse didn't have a back channel (laughs) at that time. And so people would naturally go to Instagram and like Twitter to communicate. And so it just happened organically. And Clubhouse got a back channel later, but whatever. So yeah. And at some point, you might may want to have like non Apple users that you can approach. Exactly. <laughs> Twitter <laughs> added Android and, and also opened up the floodgates and that changed the culture of like Clubhouse dramatically. A lot of celebrities left, especially after the Kevin Hart fiasco, which we don't need to get into. And a few other celebrities like falling down the cliff, being too open and transparent on Clubhouse. And a lot of people navigated back to Instagram or navigated back to Twitter and new people started to come on Twitter. And so it was an interesting journey there. And I'm still on Clubhouse. You are, yeah. <laughs> I'm still not on Clubhouse. I was. I've, I, I have an unhealthy relationship with Apple, so I don't use Apple. I haven't used <laughs> Apple in the last sort of 21 years. And... So I was never on Clubhouse because it was not available to me while it was popular and then it disappeared. And then you just never joined. See, I was on Clubhouse, but it's so bizarre because I joined when there was like an influx of all this music industry people. Like, we're going to give you insider music industry information. And so that's the Clubhouse I was in. I was not in crypto Clubhouse because I was not fully in crypto then. So it's interesting for me to see that all these things happen. There were tons of shows with people providing 
insider information, which I realized very quickly was to sell their courses. And, yeah. and it's so interesting how much people will charge just to give you their Spotify pitching template where it's ridiculous. But yeah, but people pay the money to see all of that. Uh, so it's interesting for me to see that basically crypto clubhouse was turned into the same thing. It <laughs> sounds mm -hmm. like. I also want to go into the period between 2016 and 2020. So for me, you're one of these people who, when you talk about onboarding, there's always different ways of doing it. And your sort of way of doing it is, for me, the, the right way to do it. And so you started doing that on Clubhouse, but that you took the experience for the for previous four years, right? So what is that experience that got you into that mode of how you do that? I'm hesitant to say this, but I actually started onboarding on Facebook. I would post things on Facebook and I'd be like, have you guys heard about NFTs? And then have these, I ran a lot of these big like music groups on Facebook and these people were like, check out my new CD. Or I'm like, literally a CD. And I'm just like, what year are we in? I'm like, <laughs> and so I'm like, have you guys checked out NFTs? It's a really dope community. By this time, there's a bunch of fervor and energy like on Near, which is a blockchain slash protocol. And People are like, what are you talking about? I'm about to go pay $7,000 to go be on the show with insert artists here. And I was like, why? And, but there are a trickle of artists that are like, oh, let me check this out and see what's happening here. And so I'd be in this like little rooms and eventually like it was Zoom or the group chat on Facebook. And I just like, yo, check this out. It's super cool. Don't pay me anything because I, I was taught by other people and that's exactly what they did. They taught me, they didn't ask me to pay $9 million for their course about stuff that they stole off the internet. And so the Vandal taught me properly. This is what it's like. This is the culture of the space, maybe different than other like NFT communities you go to, but this is how we get down over here on near. And this is what's happening on Bitcoin. And this is that. And so they taught me like slowly. And I also observed them a lot, what they were doing. And so I learned just by watching them and seeing them move and put in proposals that insert thing here or do events and festivals. And so I just observed them a lot. And they introduced me to cool people. I met people myself on Steemit and like other kind of projects. And then later on Clubhouse, because we were doing a ton of onboarding there, I naturally met a lot of the artists that now you see are, they've blown up. They're like the poster children of like NFTs. I've met a lot of people through this journey, but I ultimately think that if you're telling people that they need to pay for interest into the space, you're not onboarding, you're offloading people onto the side of the road on a deserted island or deserted desert somewhere. There's nobody around to help them. You're just scheming on them. They're fresh food. And I never wanted to onboard people properly because those people, once they get their foot in the door, if they do, they begin to bring more people in and they don't get educated properly either. And so ultimately, if we had an educated class of people in Web3 or DAOs or like NFTs, we start to think better about how we want our experience to be here. And we're not like birthing like predators into the space. And I didn't come from the music industry or like the nonprofit world, which is heavy on the grifting to like experience that. And so I was very keen on how I want my experience to be and how I'm sharing information with other people. And people can get paid a million ways. Onboarding, I always tell people like, I don't make any money doing that. And that's designed by me personally so that I make sure that I'm onboarding people in a way I feel it's in line with the ethos of the space and also in line with the folks that brought me into here because they see you and they observe you and we see all of that. I like that a lot because of the way that you were introduced by Vandal has made such a big impact on the way mm. that you are in our little ecosystem. And then 
I think if you take that and everybody who comes in basically needs that same type of education. And, and we were all like that yeah. on Clubhouse too. Like Bitbuzz, who was like back in the Silk, we're talking about oh, triple, quadruple OG, like Silk Road days. He comes from when Bitcoin was on paper. And so he also had, there were a lot of people that also contributed to my toolbox of like knowledge. And it was just vandals like Alan Henna, who's one of the nerdiest people I know. It was also Kaz Vegas who can continuously reminds me to be compassionate because sometimes I'm just like drill sergeant (laughs) because I know what's at stake in this space and I know how quickly people are willing to give up their sovereignty and their freedom to transact is what we talk about a lot in my community and also your freedom to exist as an artist however you feel in this space and so those things I try to instill in other people and I know it sounds harsh coming off you don't know me that well but ultimately like there's a lot of people preying on this there's a lot of people like not wanting artists to have sovereignty or not wanting to exist here because it means that they no longer get a check. It seems like you learned a lot of these things too, but there's also, I can tell a lot of personal like Mm -hmm. beliefs that you've had your life too. It's not just this like ethos of like crypto you've been taught, but it seems like it it also cross pollinates and works really well with what you personally believe. So just elaborate a little more on that. I come from the independent world of music. I never wanted to work at a record label, and this is exactly why. And I never wanted to work in the mainstream industry or any of that. And like I've always been a person that believed in my ability to pave my own pathway, whatever. I don't care what mountain I've had to climb or the obstacles or challenges I've had to face. Like I've always believed in myself and have the confidence enough to be able to do anything like I put my mind to. And I know it sounds cliche, that's just me. That's just my personality. And early 2000s, maybe late 90s, don't quote me on that. I was on MySpace and I was building a lot of these MySpace pages. It's funny you brought that up in a Twitter space the other day, but I was building all these MySpace pages for these random artists and insert country here and doing all these things and hosting like local events and doing all these things. And this random guy from a well-known like independent music label, and he's well-known in the music industry, especially now, many years later, and he was like, I saw you doing this social thing. And I'm like, social media? And he was like, uh, I'll pay you $25 a week if you do our MySpace page. I'm like, this dude just paid me like $5,000 to do like X, Y, and Z. Why would I? Like, it was just like mad exploitative. And I'm like, excuse how the sound is. Like, I would rather go back to selling drugs or like whatever juvenile delinquent stuff I was into as a teenager than to do work for $25 a week. And he was like literally offended by my like judgment of him. And I'm like, absolutely not. And that's when I realized how exploitative the industry can be of people placing things. And I also saw, again, like Vandal and my other folks, like they too faced a lot of challenges building festivals and events, but they still put their resources together. They still worked collectively and collaboratively to make things happen. And so I always saw them as a model for the work that I wanted to do. And it was like a momentous occasion because this guy was like trying to pull me in for a minute. And I'm just like, the minute he said, I'll pay $25 a week, I was like mad offended by that. And think about the many, probably like hundreds of people he's approached and they all said, yeah, because of who this guy is. And that was like a hallmark experience for my whole entire life. And also the other thing is I'd gone to a few different countries. I'd gone to New York and spent some years there in the trenches, just working with different artists and stuff. And after that experience, I just started traveling. I went to Senegal and France and London. And I saw all these folks like 
continue to wreck their hip hop scene there and do the same thing. Like they didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have funding from all these embassies like their peers did, but they still continue to be in the trenches, like 10 toes in the dirt and do the work. And so I always promised myself that no matter how hard stuff would get, I would dedicate my life to building kind of these ecosystems so that artists could thrive, they could exist. And I know that my peers, but also the people that I, I always say I birthed them into like Web3, that I would instill in them the values that I have so they would do the same for other people. And so with that $25, I, I literally have it written on my wall. And I always used to look at that. I'm like, that $25 has propelled me for the last like 15, 20 years. So yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that you can pinpoint that. It helps, right? Because then you do have that moment where you go, that's definitely not it. So mm. everything that comes close to that is also not it. So I need to yeah. do other stuff. A lot of people are not willing to sacrifice that. And I always think about the hundreds of people, again, that was, had said yes to this guy. But I also think the sacrifice of my peers, my my comrades, my folks, and doing their work. Like my collaborator, Kentake, built one of the first like citywide London like hip-hop festivals in the world. And today we still like collaborate and share ideas and there's a lot of other people like her that I work with outside of like web three and they face the same challenges. However, we work collaboratively, we share resources, we're in each other's ear all the time. And I've built a lot of things without kind of the industry, without all the things, without the millions of dollars that my peers received, but those things still exist today. And so for that, I can be proud of those things and not having to give up my integrity or my values or whatever for the $25. And so when I talk about the $25, it's that story. So do you think that the tools that sort of been built around blockchain tech help you reinforce those values? I question that every day, to be frank with you. I think we have a lot more tools than we did in 2016 to 2018. I remember when we threw like the Metaverse Music Festival in 2021, which lasted a few years. We didn't have all the technology that we have now. And that's only like a few years time span. But now like people are doing all kinds of things in the metaverse. People are hosting like bigger shows. They have better video rates. They have all the things. And so there are a lot of tools for artists to like exist and thrive and to create and platform themselves. However, I think we still have to keep building these tools, making through ways. We have to keep funding or finding funding for the folks that are building these tools and making sure that artists are funneled in in a way that's aligned with what we're already doing here and i would say we don't have enough tools and i'm being realistic not optimistic what are some of the tools that you would like to see then <sighs> let me break out my list <laughs> let me break out my list here a lot of people are talking about distribution but i what are the actual like marketing tools that exist in the space i think distribution will look very differently people keep trying to replicate what spotify and like these other platforms are doing I'm curious as to how we continue to build this foundation around what Web3 music is and what it's going to be for the next 5, 10, 15 years. And we need tools around marketing. We need tools. We need wraparound tools. We need tools for like wellness for artists. We need tools around like data and analytics. We need all the things here. And so I'm hoping that there are big dreamers like myself out there that can build those things because it can't just be like the few handful that have and so I point to Vandal always because he's built like Sound Splash and this whole like platform for artists what it, the back end of that is actually like splitting 
kind of funds between artists every time they get a sale it gets split between like vandal the dow records and like the other artists and producers and folks like that we need better split tools as well cargo (laughs) went away a long time ago but we need to talk about royalties what does that look like do we have new things that we're establishing as a culture here and so i see a lot of things that need to happen at the same time i'm not trying to replicate the traditional music industry, whatever the hell that means these days. I'm trying to erect something on top of that, just from my purview that allows like artists to exist here. But it's not just artists, it's builders, it's developers, it's a whole like new kind of pool of people that may have different roles that we haven't never seen existed before. Maybe the AI prompt engineers, maybe a bunch of other people. So we need those tools that represent that vast amount of people, people like Stephanie and other folks that are coming into the space and finding maybe new creative expressions of themselves. What are the tools that are going to exist around those people? Because oftentimes there's this hyper-focus around artists, but it's not just artists here. I'm asking us to dream bigger. I love love that that. you keep pushing the community, always pushing the community to think bigger and think beyond just like replicating these things. How do you feel about this whole idea of Web 2.5, connecting the established things and try to bring them on board? We know the people that are like bucking against this, but I don't think we've had like a real conversation around what it actually means to create this bridge and how, yes, there are some positives. Yes, there may be some like pros to this, but ultimately I'm not trying to build or resurrect or reinforce like what some of us came from and whatever aspect, whether you came from the world of like independent music or traditional record labels. Again, I don't know what that means these days, but the idea of something 2.5 is, is interesting to me. Are we trying to replicate the same behavior? Because for a lot of artists that hasn't worked, are we trying to replicate the same kind of ecosystem and infrastructure? Because for a lot of artists, they're starving. They don't have their masters anymore. I know artists from the 70s that are still groveling in court with their record labels because they refuse to give them their royalties and their masters and a whole laundry list of other things. So have we had a real conversation around what it actually means to build this bridge? And for me, from my standpoint, I'd like to burn the bridge because if we have proper educators, people like Kay Mayfield or Trish or like yourself or like other people, they can translate what it means to be in Web3, what the mindset you need to actually exist here. And that may be a plethora of mindsets, but if you run around certain people, like you'll see that they have a common thread. And if we're building a Web 2.5, I just don't want to reinforce like that thing. Spotify is problematic as hell to me. We have a bunch of other people that are involved in the music ecosystem that are not represented in any of these facets of what we've come from. And so how do we build space for them? How do we build belonging? How do we build new tools? And I'm afraid that we don't actually get that if we build 2.5 and continue to try to hold on to that thing when most of us are not even winning off of that. Most of us are not existing, can't pay our rent. So why are we holding on to this thing when we should be exploring how do we evoke some radical imagination around burning the fuck out of that bridge and really thinking differently about how we can exist here? And that's hard for a lot of people when you're just trying to survive. And it's also hard for a lot of people when they haven't been educated properly or they don't see the value in freedom to transact or needing to have splits done properly via the blockchain. I can go on and on, but I just, I fear that we're not going to get the new tools. We're not going to get the platforms that we need or the equity or the freedom to transact or sovereignty, if nothing else, if we continue to hold on to that burning thread for dear life. And that's where I stand. 
because you also care deeply, Steph, about educating people who come in. So how do you relate to all of this? I think I agree with Natalie mostly. And it took me a really long time to arrive at that point because obviously I came from the traditional label side. And I still have a lot of friends that are working in that structure. Mm -hmm. The structure is working for them. Some of the artists that I'm working with now have 30 million monthly listeners in Spotify. So for them, mm -hmm. it's really hard to let go of that because that's income for them. But for me, it's... I don't even talk about that existing mind frame anymore. I'm like, okay, here's what, what don't we build for you and for your fans? And let's forget about anything else because that's what matters at the end of the day. And I've really just dug into these legacy artists who that's what they've focused on. Like regardless of whatever machine the music industry is, they focused on that. Tori Amos mm -hmm. is one of them that I've just been going down the rabbit hole. I've never been a particular close up, but I've realized like what she has done and the community that she has built is more valuable than maybe some of these other artists that are doing now. Because yes, you might be able to book arena or stadium tours, but that's not sustainable in the long term if we're really honest. So, mm. and artists that haven't spent the time and the dedication to truly build for their fans and have that relationship, they're not going to have this longevity. And the saying is true, like more money, more problems. So all of these artists that are getting involved in all of these things, we don't know what that's going to mean. 10, 20, mm -hmm. 30 years from now for them. We don't know what that's going to mean for their catalog, which are still generating millions of dollars a year. Are we going to have that with the artists that we have now? I don't know. That's necessarily true. So the way I approach it is I don't even, because these people are so attached to this web two or the traditional music industry, I don't even broach that. I'm like, you're doing fine there. You have your income from there, but how can you build and focus on building for your fans and have that relationship. But I do think we need voices like Natalie that are saying like, let's burn the bridge. Let's start from scratch because it's true. It's important. If we don't have those voices, then we're not going to get there. We can't just have this like middle voice like me. That's like, just build for your fans without the person explaining why it's important. We need to have context in that. So that's where I stand with it. The way I've approached it is I just, I don't even touch it. You're doing that. You don't care. And those people, I would just want to add, most people are not going to be interested in Web3 unless they're making millions of dollars in an instant. But that's not the selling point that we have now. And we're never going to have that selling point in a bear market. We don't know how long that's going to be. So the selling point for me is this is building a structure for you to have a long lasting and meaningful relationship with your fans. Yeah. And then that structure is only important if you care about those values, right? Of self-sovereignty, freedom to transact, and all of those things, if accountability, transparency, if those things then come back and are important to that community, then it makes sense to start building in it. And then some, there are some artists that don't care. There are some artists that their relationship to their fans is their piggy banks for them to fund their lifestyle. And then there are artists that don't think that way. Where do you stand on those values, Natalie? I have a personal gripe with <laughs> artists that come into this space, wherever they're from, and they're like, now you guys are my piggy bank. People that know me know that I've led like these, I have a little group of friends that people call us the vigilantes or the digilantes of Web3. And like we've led whole entire brigades against people because they've come into here and extracted or rugged whole entire communities. And, and this has been going on for like years. And this is nothing new. Like crypto has always been adversarial and bucking up against the system. I think up until recent years, it's been pretty kind of spicy in this space and how people see themselves, but especially in these micro communities or like sub communities of like crypto, it's always been like, 
the haves and have nots against or the have nots against the establishment or like artists that are in the space have come here mostly because they couldn't get into galleries they couldn't get on stages but it's always been a bunch of people they're ragtag people in society they're outliers the outcasts the people who believe that they can build something different but maybe didn't have the resources the people like me and they came to crypto they came to like web3 some of the DAOs, and i repeat some they found community in that because there are a lot of other people just like that that were involved in crypto crypto didn't come about because people wanted to rest on their laurels like early, early crypto, they're like, if you meet early crypto people, (laughs) Bitbuzz is a homie, but like he has a very specific perspective. And you'll find that a lot with folks from that era of like crypto, they came here because they big banks, the financial system, all these things have constantly been at our throats in terms of like, how we exist in relationship to them. And so they thought that they can build something different, but that's being slowly extracted away from what crypto is and what DAOs are, especially again in the last few years. And so what I believe is that if we get away from that, we'll never get the things that we need to create more equitable ecosystems. But I also understand that there are artists like Bjork, who I respect, who come into the space, use the technology, want to experiment, want to explore and build real communities around their projects or their things. So I respect that. But what I don't respect is some artists coming in and extracting because that money never gets recycled back in and it gets extracted out. And so it's a catch-22 about how I feel about certain artists coming into the space. Yes, anybody should come here, but if you're here to extract, there's a group of people that probably has nothing to do with me that will have something to say about that. And the space is vocal. We're not just consumers here. We're participants and something that's bigger than ourselves. And I say that all the time. Um, and that is the difference. And so choose your adventure, pick your poison. That is crypto. And I think that's important, Natalie. I know we're like very against gatekeepers, but there are, I see us as custodians of this very special community, right? And so even artists that have approached me, there's been artists that have approached me and they've said, I want to launch my NFT project. Can I have a $2 million advance? And my response to that is, look, we have, we had a great working relationship in the past, but that's not going to work here. And I'm very honest and I've been very selective because of that. It's not necessarily lucrative, but it's kept so far what we have. And I think, and I do think it's important for us to be custodians of this. And when a new project does launch to ask those questions and to demand more from these people that want to enter the space, Mm -hmm. because if we keep them on their toes, they're not going to be able to do what other people have done, which is just extract value. I completely resonate with that. I think a lot of times the relationship between an artist and a fan and not just independent artists, but big artists, it's very transactional. The fan is a consumer. You don't participate in their ecosystem. I go post on your IG page, nice to see your new picture, blah, 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 (laughs) whatever. And that's the extent of that. But here, I think we have to ask for more if we want more for ourselves. But if we want to keep more for ourselves, we want to create an ecosystem, again, that's equitable and rooted in justice and making sure that we support like black and brown folks, women, queer folks, trans folks, disabled folks, but that's not going to happen if we don't ask for more from the people coming into the space. And it's certainly not going to happen if we don't ask more from the platforms, protocols and chains that are already here. And that requires people not to be silenced and complicit. This is also a good bridge to talking about the artist fan relationship and the artist collector relationship, because right here, right now, we're talking about them as like this ecosystem where people move in sync with each other but that's definitely not always the case so Mm -hmm. can you tell us about how where do you stand on this whole artist fan artist collector relationship 
Is it an issue? Uh, no, it is for me. <laughs> Everything's an issue for me. Kristen, homie Jules, aka, aka, we did this research project in water music around like fan journeys and Web3. And what I explained very early on as I was participating in that particular research project is that uh, people are not just fans here. We're actually participants. And for a lot of artists, it's hard to get your mind around that. I'm an artist. I'm not just here to say, again, hi on your IG. And I'm not just here to buy your mixtape or your merch or go to your show. Now I want to say, hey, this is what I want. And from my standpoint, as somebody who's building and creating communities and platforms and festivals and other projects, you couldn't pay for this type of data that you can actually scoop up in this space. And people don't understand that. Like you have participants in your ecosystem telling you it's not just about telling you about what song you should put up and because honestly most fans <laughs> don't understand sequencing they don't understand what songs you should put through at what time and marketing sequences and any of that stuff but like I always feel like people want to participate now people want to say hey I don't want a pink shirt anymore I want a black one why you always have women's this is my personal gripe why do you always make women's merch and it always has to be pink I don't like pink and so now I get to tell you that face to face now I get to have open communication with you most of the artists that I love in web 3 I hang out with them in Twitter spaces pretty I hang out with Kay Mayfield and Lil Sleazy every day for multiple hours a day and those are two of my favorite artists and people in this space same thing with Cas Vegas the same thing with a bunch of other people I go to UVR like at least like once or twice a week I enjoy hanging out there and but I get to say hey what about this or can we collaborate on this and so the artist fan relationship has changed at least for most artists that I like very dramatically and how they participate, what the kind of extent and closeness of that relationship is. And we're shifting. It's a seismic shift, in fact, of what that actually looks like. And we've gone from like very transactional. Prior to that, shout out to the Janet Jackson fan club that I was a part of for many years. We've gone from the Janet Jackson fan club where you get a box in the mail and Janet Jackson writes you a personal note to, hey, buy my stuff, check out my new song. And it's inhuman. It's so inhuman now. Check out my song. That's all you have to say to me when I support you all the time when I go to all your shows. And so, yeah, it's been it's interesting. It's making me reconsider like what you're saying now is making me reconsider the parasocial relationship that fans mm -hmm. have with artists, because it makes me realize that it's dehumanizing also, almost. And I never really thought about that before. So that's a very interesting line of thought. It really is. And I feel like we've forgotten the fans themselves. They also want to talk to each other because we have this basically one-way connection. The fans are not necessarily talking to each other. It does happen right. a little bit in the comments, but... There is no community there. It's literally yeah. just, I'm trying to make a comment to get noticed as a fan rather than, you know, the community where you can connect to each other. And I talked to one artist who I know and I love very much. She has a Telegram channel, but she's just broadcasting. And there's no way for the mm -hmm. fans to interact with each other. And so I told her, you're missing all of this value that is there, that your community already has because they love you. So they they already want to show up for one reason. But what if they could talk to each other? Yeah. And that's value that we are leaving on the table with this structure. Yeah, and it strengthens the bond between those fans. I, Lindsay with an E, I always bring her up when people talk about fans because I don't know anybody else outside of myself. I'm sure there are people out there. Lindsay with an E literally goes to 9 million shows a week all the time. She doesn't care if it's raining. Like I've seen her go to shows and like pouring down rain does not care because she's a hardcore fan. A lot of the bands that she likes. And for me, like I 
get to talk to Lindsay. We built Metaverse Music Festival with a bunch of other people. And a lot of the people that we're fans of, we were able to be like, yo, like, I'm in his Discord too. Let's go check out his performance and see if he wants to be like on the festival. And so you had a whole bunch of people who are musicians, but also fans collaborating to do this wild festival. And a lot of those folks that performed were fans of us or fans of our work or fans of our discords or our communities. And it's really interesting experimentation of how like fans come together to collaborate, to build this whole festival lineup of folks across the globe and musicians picking out musicians that they like and people just volunteering because they like or they're a fan of somebody else. And it's It was an ex- interesting experiment and ex- exhibition of what I'm saying around people are not just fans here, they're participants and they want to support people. They want to boost folks up. And my relationship with other fans in this space with other participants has given me space to do a lot of those projects to collaborate, to share. Here's my favorite song. Like one of the things I love in Water Music, they have a music recommendation channel. And I may not know any of those bands in that channel, but I sure love like the recommendations every day. And it's interesting kind of parasocial relationships that have emerged through this emergent technology. Yeah, they're not that parasocial anymore. That's one of the things. And I think another, you talked about this earlier as well, but you just mentioned it again, is this thinking that it's not just the artist, like everybody else matters as well, right? Somebody writes something, somebody makes a video, somebody does something. There's all these different skills that come together. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on, Steph? I'm going to confess being a little bit of a fan of Natalie here. And I guess a little bit, how do you do it? How do you have all of this information, I feel like, in your head that you're constantly sharing with us? You seem to be ever present. So just, I don't know if you have a little bit like some tips for the rest of us who are trying to participate in the space and are Mm -hmm. trying to be what you are. Don't do that. You'll burn out quickly. Uh, take care of yourself. That's the number one tip. It all started with Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> I've always been like a brainiac. Like I've always had a store, like a massive amount of knowledge in my head, whether I needed it or not. Shout out to Jeopardy too. And so I know a lot of random things about a lot of random stuff. Probably only know about one or two, three things like masterfully. And I'm like a human factoid and not as good as Start Adams, who's one of the dopest like hip hop historians on planet earth. And he knows everything, release dates, all that. I'm not that person. But in terms of Web3, I've lived here for a long time. And so I know a bunch of people. I maneuver around a bunch of communities. I've gone through hell and back in this space. And so those experiences have shaped me. And I remember everything. So (laughs) I remember everything. And so I urge people just to find their lane and stick to that. You don't have to be everywhere with everybody doing everything. If you find the thing that you're passionate about, whether it's creating festivals, you don't have to be a musician. You don't have to be an accordion player. You don't have to play banda. You don't have to play like salsa. You don't have to do hip hop. You don't have to do any of those things. Whatever thing that makes you happy, maybe people told you never could be or do that thing and folks in this space will like support you in that way I just so happen to say the things that I want to do in life the things that I want to be the things that I want to accomplish I don't have any goals I have things I want to accomplish of course I I have discipline if you don't have discipline it's very hard to kind of mold through the various challenges that exist here. So discipline is super important. I get up every day and I will admit 9,000%, 
I'm not a morning person, never have been, had a nightgown for several years. I wore it till it got holes in it. I said, I'm not a morning person, but I get up every morning at seven o'clock. This morning, I got up at six and I made a commitment. I will be in Twitter spaces in the morning to see what's happening, what's the news. I will be up in the morning so I can catch all the crypto news that's happening that's important to me. I will check my email for an hour. I will not look at it for the rest of the day until the nighttime. And so create habits around that discipline. And so those habits can be like, I'm going to get up in the morning at between seven and eight. I give myself an hour leeway because again, I'm not a morning person. I'm going to drink my tea and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And I do that every single morning. I'm going to take my lunch at 12 o'clock or I'm going to take a nap. Those are two choices, nap or lunch. And if I take a nap first, I'm going to eat lunch afterwards. So those habits around discipline have helped me like push forth and actually accomplish and execute in a way that most people can't humanly fathom. And so every day I'm working towards those things via my discipline and my habits that I've created. And so 30 days makes a habit. For me, it took 60 days. I'm not going to lie. And so don't, don't feel pressure to be in every discord. Stop buying all these like down memberships. Most of them have rugged me. I will tell you that first off. <laughs> Try to get like a free membership trial, whatever. And do your research on people. I can show you people that talk very well. They have all this social capital, but they're horrible people. Do your research on Twitter, ask around, and people will tell them themselves eventually. And that's also a habit in this space that you need to have. Don't feel afraid to say something if people do harm to you. And that's, I guess, my big tip. And it's a huge one because social capital and human capital, especially if you're new here, can be, it can be very challenging to traverse that. And so just Find people that can support you in that because you'll find more than enough. They've probably done something else and I'll be here to support you. I'm sure there's other people too. Life hacks, life hacks. Mix and master your songs. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> that is <laughs> that's my favorite. I think that's my favorite. Um, Love it. Yeah. Discipline and mix and master. <laughs> Yeah, cool. We all usually wrap up with a little music tip from you, Natalie. What's popping? The real tip is mix your master your music. I was there's a lot of things happening in this space. Um, I will encourage people to get out. This is not a recommendation. Just saying, a lot of people are going to these NFT conferences. I feel a lot of you will have a lot more success, a lot more leverage if you go to Europe, check out some of the non NFT conferences. There's a lot of things happening with Medem, although they shut down every other year. <laughs> There's a lot of other conferences and uh, kind of art things happening. And so get out of your comfort zone and stop following the hype. There's a lot of stuff happening. And so out there in the world and start to book those tours. You can live online. I'm the queen of the metaverse, as people say. But I went to NFT NYC and I had a blast, not at the conference, outside of it. And I need y'all to get out of your little bubble. So that is it. So what's the music tip? What do we need to listen to? Oh, I have. Okay. There's an artist that I love. She's from Papua New Guinea. She's one of my favorite artists. She hasn't really put out anything new. I'm not one of the people that's like, I got to hear the new song. But I love Kite. She's currently in Australia. Oz. Shout out to the indigenous folks there. And she had all her music is amazing. It's K-A-T. And I blast that every single day. It was such a pleasure. I think you need to come back and give us a lesson on DAOs because that's 
it's something that still overwhelms me. And I'm always Join curious to learn more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would say if you ever want to come and give us the lowdown on DAOs, that would be great. But Anytime. thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, likewise. And I, I also want to have you come back on the pod and listen and talk about DAOs. So much to say there. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.